Good morning. Uh, today's verse is Philippians, uh, verse 3 through 11, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And that is God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we just we thank you for this day. Um, I pray that you're magnified and glorified through your word, through my words, and, and through your people. Uh, so, Lord, just soften our hearts to know the beauty of uh, being a partaker of the gospel that you sent to us through your son, Christ. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jake. Uh, it's a pleasure to be up here with you guys today um, and just jumping into this next section of, of the, Philippian, the book to the Philippians. So Dan opened last week with that introduction, the first two verses, and then uh, he kind of gave that high-level overview of, of just the inception and the beginnings of this church in Philippi. And uh, I'm excited. We're going to jump into this next section as, as Patrick just read in verses 3 through 11. So the beginning of this letter, it's pretty awesome, right? Paul just sits there and expounds upon his thankfulness and joy in, in uh, participating in the gospel, right, with these saints in Philippi. And that's, uh, that's what the Bible tells us, right, that it's good to give thanks. It's good to praise his name. And for me personally, I think that uh, just thankfulness is probably one of the most gracious and pleasing dispositions that a person can have. Okay, it's pleasing not only for, for them, but their view of you. Um, but most of all, it's thankfulness is pleasing to God, right? And we can see that the Apostle Paul was a crazy thankful person. And when I worked through his letter and most of his letters, gosh, I, it just really kind of uh, pulled this out of me. I had to reflect honestly, just who am I? Am I, am I a thankful person? Like, am I really... Um, I hope I am. I know I ought to be thankful, and hopefully not just occasionally or around a certain time of year, but is this truly a, a trait or a disposition that I have in my life? And that was, it was a good wrestle. Um, I know when I look out at everyone here, like I am thankful and I praise God for all of you, and I hope you can say that about others in this church as well. And we can see that uh, Paul, he wrote to all the churches he wrote to, every one of them except for two, Paul's letter starts with giving thanks to them. Okay, so let's just run through a couple of these. Romans in chapter 1, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
In Ephesians 1, he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In the Colossians, he said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Right? This continues with Thessalonians. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly making mention of you in our prayers. And he also said this, uh, believe it or not, to the church in Corinth, right? This church has a, a fair amount of, of problems and troubles for sure. And Paul addresses that stuff. But he says in, in the beginning of his letter in 1 Corinthians that he gives thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, right? I mean, that's awesome. Even a church with like a crazy amount of problems, he gives thanks for and he does that same thing in the, the beginning of the book to the Philippians. He says in verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Okay, he's a thankful person. He doesn't just thank him in, in private, in his prayers. He lets them know that he's thankful for them, uh, that he thanked God for them. And I go back to myself again. Um, and I want you to ask yourself that same question. If you're thankful for someone Shouldn't you make that known? Shouldn't you uh, go and tell those persons, not only to God, but to go out and tell those people? That just struck me. I know for myself, like, I'm pretty willing and, and ready to receive thanks. Uh, that's, that's good. And I can be really stingy in, in handing that out to others. Um, and I can be very wounded. I know a lot of people can be really wounded and take it personal if we don't feel appreciated, right? But how much do we tell others how much we appreciate them and thank them. And I think that takes grace. It takes a lot of effort to do that, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think Charles Spurgeon said this, that he delights in that eye, which can be a little blind to faults, while it exercises a clear vision in seeing all that is good and praiseworthy to God. Right? I mean, that, I, I love that. I, I see that, and I can, I can bring that in. And I can't help to put myself in the shoes of who Paul is writing to. Um, would I be, or even would WCC be a church or a people that Paul would say he's bound to pray for and thank God for? You know, can we say that as a people that, that he'd be thankful for? And that's not to cause guilt or, or shame or anything, but I think it's good to reflect on it. And we can see that the Philippian church, man, this is a church to be thankful for. We can notice this in Paul's like vigilant appreciation in, in the verse here. It says, notice that he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine. I mean, he was consistent whenever he thought of the church in Philippi. And he continued praying for them since the inception of that church. That inception that uh, we can see in Acts 16, it said that uh, Paul had this vision to go to Philippi, and he was called there from God. It said, come over to Macedonia and help us out. And Macedonia is just the area in which Philippi is placed on the, on the Greek mainland, so you'll hear that term quite a bit. Um, but he had uh, known them, right? He preached the gospel. This church was born. He knew them from the beginning, and whenever he thought of them, his heart was moved in gratitude for this church. Every remembrance, he said. Every time he thinks of them, he thanks God for them. And in verse 4, we can see that it says that always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Notice that 
He says, it's for you all, right? I mean, that's an inclusive word. He wasn't addressing just a single individual. It was the church. And when he thinks of the church, he thanks God for all of them. He wasn't just selecting one or two people. It wasn't just his first converts. It wasn't Lydia, the first convert, or as we learned last week, it wasn't the Philippian jailer. Um, It was for all of them. And again, it's a church with faults, right? There is no church under heaven that's without fault. And I, I think that old saying goes that if you, if you do find that perfect church, don't join it because you're going to ruin it, okay? That's uh, there, there is no perfect church, right? Every church is subject to mixture on error on some level. And every church is a church that's just full of, of sinners. That means that they do things wrong. And they sin against God. They sin against one another. And the Philippian church here is not an exception. We'll see later in one of the chapters that Paul just, he exhorts him to unity. And he's like, tells him to stop grumbling and and complaining. And those are obvious things that we could see here in the Philippian church. And those are things that are in every church, including this one. But he still thanks God for all of them. And here's the point. The specific reason that I think he felt such appreciation really starts in verse 5, he says he's making his prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's a rich word, partnership. Okay, a lot of other versions of the Bible translate as fellowship, but man, partnership is, is rich. It's participation, right? It's a, partition, a, a partnership in something, a partnership with someone, uh, people working together right, towards an end goal. They're pressing on in partnership. And he speaks to their partnership in the gospel, right, of, of preaching the gospel, the spread of the gospel. And they're particularly thankful for this partnership. And it wasn't just sharing in the blessings in which the gospel gives, but it's actually sharing in the service which that gospel deserves, Okay, in other words, they, they have freely received from the Lord that blessing of salvation, and now they're entering into that participation and sharing and proclaiming that gospel to others, that blessing to others, and particularly through that ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's like how we're partnering with the churches, our sister churches in the Czech Republic, where Dan just visited and encouraged them, um, and how we have, uh, we're participating with the saints in Nigeria um, where Dan is actually uh, coming into right now. It's, it's our participation with the churches in Crossway Chapel and the churches in northern Colorado, right? We are all uh, working together to proclaim that gospel, and I think it's a great thing to be a part of, of that team. So we got to see Paul at this time. He's in prison, right? This is one of his prison epistles, and it's amazing because this is also called uh, the Epistle of Joy, when he's there, right? I mean, he's in prison. Prison's for criminals. Not good. Right? Peter warns us to not suffer as a murderer or an evildoer or even as a, a busybody, but Christians do suffer, and Paul was suffering, not as an evildoer, but he was suffering because of the gospel, right? Paul was not ashamed of being in prison because he knew what he was there for. He was there because he was preaching the gospel. And it's not the first time that Paul was behind bars. He's been there before. Oddly enough, he was in jail, incarcerated in Philippi. They saw this. 
And now looking at his current imprisonment in Rome, where he's writing this letter from, like he didn't have it easy. In fact, he talks about uh, during his preliminary hearing in the, the court of Caesar, and this is in 2 Timothy 2, where all the people that were with him, his Christian brothers that were with him, they just they bolted when he got arrested. They, had, they, they forsook him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Imagine that. He's sitting there. Um, he's being called up, and then boom, your, your friends just leave, right? Uh, I, I just couldn't imagine being in that situation, but we can see the Philippian church through this letter. They sought him out. As Paul stood with the gospel, they stood with him. Um, he was there because of the gospel, and that was their gospel too, right? These Philippians, they're not, they're not some fair-weather Christians. They stuck with Paul through thick and thin, and that's what a true friend does. They stick with each other through thick and thin. Uh, Proverbs 20 says that uh, most men will proclaim each their own goodness, right? But a, a faithful man who can find, right here, someone who's with you. That's where you can find that, that faithful man. You know, everyone can see that when things are going great, people are with you, right? I mean, the church is growing. People are with you. But when problems are happening in the church, gosh, people just start disappearing, they don't want to be associated. But when everything is going well, man, they're, they're there. And the Philippian church, we can see they're not this type of friends. They're not those fair-weather friends. They were with them through the thick and the thin. And I'd like to think of them how Paul thought of a, a guy named Onesiphorus, right? He's from Thessalonica. And he even writes to Timothy about him. He says, Lord, grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. For when I, and when I arrived in Rome, he sought me and out very earnestly, and he found me. Right? That's the kind of Christian that was in the church in Philippi. They remembered Paul as if they were sitting there chained up with him. Paul looked at this church in, in, in uh, Philippi and knew that they were with him when he was suffering and they were, uh, they were zealous for the gospel, right? They're doing everything they could to help promote the gospel with the Apostle Paul. And notice, when this happens, right? From the, he was regarding them and their participation of the gospel. And it says in, in verse 5 that he was, it was a joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? And that's the first day of their conversion that they were zealous for the gospel. We love to see that, that zeal from a new Christian. Right? These guys were all in for Christ. And Paul remembers with a, a ton of fondness when he came to Philippi, he found a, that group of women down by the river. And he began preaching the gospel of Sam, and it says, the Lord opened the heart of Lydia, which really opened her heart to respond to the things of Paul. And I think it'd be worthy, I know we looked at it last week, but let's turn to Acts chapter 16, and we'll walk through this story of Lydia here. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, starts like this. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Okay, this is another way of expressing her conversion. You see, the Lord has to open the heart to understand the things of God. The natural man or person does not understand the things of God. 
He doesn't receive the things of God, but God opened her heart, Lydia's heart, so that she could understand and receive and believe the gospel. Okay, and, and look at this. In verse 15 after this, and after she was baptized and her household as well, and she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, she wanted to participate in the gospel from the very beginning. She opened up her home. She gave them hospitality, bringing these strangers in. Right? They have brought the gospel, and now she takes them in. That's how she served, served from the first day. She participated with Paul in the gospel. But not only her. But we can jump down. We read about the Philippian jailer as well. Remember Paul? He was arrested in Philippi. He was beaten um, him and his buddy Silas were thrown into jail. And we're going to jump down to verse 25. It says this, says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to him, right? There's, there's such intense persecution and suffering, and yet, what are they doing? They're praising God. Like, what a testament. Prisoners are listening and then you remember how God sent an earthquake and, and the doors like shuttered open and this poor jailer is just like shaking his knees. Uh, he goes kind of crazy here. He goes in verse 27, it says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the, Lord, the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And then notice what the Philippian jailer does immediately after this. In verse 33, he took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, right? This is evidence of the grace of God in this man. He'd been saved. He wanted to do something for the Lord. He looks for a need. He offers himself, and he tends these people's wounds from the first day. And it's, even in the next verse, then he brings them to his house and feeds them, right? From the first day, this guy is serving, and even when Paul left Philippi and he traveled to uh, Thessalonica on his missionary journey, right, uh, they sent gifts to him to aid him in his work. Uh, we can jump forward uh, in the book of Philippians to chapter 4, verse 15. It says this. It says, And you Philippians, yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I mean, that what a testament, like just pressing on in, in their faith and, and participation. And Paul uses these guys as an example to the church in Corinth. Um, the church in Corinth was, they're probably one of the richest churches around. They had a lot of like good things um, going, but we're going to see Paul is going to just exhort them about their, their tiny generosity that they've practiced with them. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is going to say this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first, Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Right? Awesome. The Philippians, they gave, not out of their wealth, they gave out of their poverty. Right? They were a sacrificial church doing whatever they could to serve the Lord. And they counted it a great honor that they could participate in the gospel that way by giving their goods and their money. And even when Paul was in prison, well, they sent him even more. They sent him a, a man, Epaphrodites, to minister to him. And they helped him time and again. And that's why it says, from the first day until now, you participated. Right? What a blessing this church was to him. And we, when we look at a lot of believers, and they start off so well, but then they just stop, right? They, they, they start off with a flash, and then you can see they just kind of fizzle, right? They start off doing well, and, and even when Paul, right, he wrote to the, the Galatian church, and this is one of the two churches that he didn't or maybe he couldn't give thanks for, right? He said that they were departing from the gospel. We can hear Paul said, you started off well. Who stopped you? Right? You were running well. What happened? And sadly, this is what happens to a lot of professing Christians. They start off well. They're zealous. And then they just die down. Right? They stop praying. They stop reading the Bible. They stop serving in the church. And, and pretty soon they just die away. But Paul said from the first day until now... He thanks the Lord for someone like you from the first day until now in your participation. And I do want you to notice here, when Paul thinks of, of everything that they've done, all their generous participation, their pressing on in, in the gospel, their sacrificial love, he, he thanks not really them, but he thanks God for them. Okay, And that's all right if they don't ultimately get the final thanks because ultimately... They don't deserve the final thanks. God does, okay? It, was, it wasn't the Philippians themselves, but it was God himself. And Paul gives all the glory to God. He says, I thank my God, right? This is right. It's proper, and it's what Paul does. He thanks him, but he reminds him uh, and himself that the true blessing, it comes from God, he goes on to speak in, in verse 6, and he says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Paul recognized that God began this good work in them. All their labor, labor all their sacrifice, their giving, it came from a heart of love for Paul and for the gospel and ultimately for God. But where did that love come from? Okay, This love is not natural to them. Okay, this is awesome. All over scripture, we can understand that we're inclined to do just the opposite. An example is Paul writing to Titus. He says this. He says that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Okay, that's what we all look like by nature. But here's a sacrificial love, a true Christian love 
desire to promote the glory of God and to do good. This came from God. God began that good work in Lydia and opened her heart. If God had not done that, she would not have responded to Paul. She would not have believed the gospel. She wouldn't have engaged in those good works, inviting them in and refreshing them into her home, uh, feeding them. She would have done any of that if God hadn't begun the good work in them. And then he continued that work, right? God doesn't just begin a good work and then, and then spaces out and has nothing to do with it. He continues the work. We can go into Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and it says, it says this. It says, by grace you have been saved by faith and not by yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on to say that we're his workmanship, right? We're, we're God's workmanship. We are his work. We're the product of his hand, the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is the one who continues this work. And this unfolds even more in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12. He says this, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? This shows there is a responsibility. You don't just sit back and wait for God to do something, right? There's a responsibility. And then notice the next verse says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So, how are Christians working that out, right? They're working out their salvation by being engaged in the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we'll walk in them. And we should work that out in our lives, right? Why are they working out? Why aren't they being selfish? Like they were born, they're born selfish. Why aren't they just continuing to be? It's because God is working in them. And so God receives the glory and God receives the thanksgiving, Right? When Paul saw their good works, he gives glory to his Father in heaven. And this work will continue to happen until the day of Jesus Christ. Right? When all are dead and raised and the final judgment takes place and the Lord ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? What an encouragement. I mean, press on. Press on towards that day of completion in Jesus Christ, right? Know that God has saved you and work that out, okay? Work that from the inside to the outside. Paul continues by pointing out in verse 7 that it is right for him to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, Okay, this bond between the, the Philippian church and Paul, like we gotta see, this is, it's a crazy strong bond that they have. He stood with them in their persecution and now they're standing with him in his imprisonment in Rome, right? This bond is not just like a human affection that's grounded in, in like activities, common interests. It's not even bound probably in culture, right? I mean, you'd have uh, Paul being uh, a Jewish rabbi who now believes that Jesus is the son of God and you have a bunch of Roman pagans living in the Greek mainland, right? I mean, from a, a strictly human perspective, Paul and the Christians in Philippi had little, if anything, in common. But in Christ Jesus, 
They have a bond which distance and which imprisonment, like that can't break. The Philippians stand together with Paul as he defends the gospel and as he confirms it through his willingness to, to suffer anything for that cause of Christ. And it's right for Paul to feel this way. It's right for the Philippians to feel that way about Paul. Only a Christian can understand that bond with Jesus and with the people of Christ. In fact, we see that Paul invokes God as his witness to confirm this affection. He says in in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's awesome. And, And finally, Paul concludes his thanksgiving with a prayer. And that's verses 9 through 11. It says this, it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, now earlier Paul said that he prayed a lot for these people in Philippi, but now we see that he provides some insight with regard to the content of those prayers, okay? Paul is pressing through in his prayers a couple things, okay? One, he's confirming that the Philippians are already loving, okay? He's, he's sure of that. He made mention of that, how they showed him love over this past I mean, it's probably been a decade or so since um, the, this church started, so over that decade. But he doesn't stop his prayer at just encourage them to love. He wants it to continue with all knowledge and with all discernment. Okay, and I look at those two words when you just attach to that, that big noun, love, and you can kind of see this dichotomy in Christian living. Okay, on the one hand, you have those people that are just prone to subjective feelings, okay? And they're, they're probably devoid or there's an absence of doctrine in their life, okay? For example, these brothers or sisters in Christ, they might love just to, to sing over and over simple emotional songs about just love and, and just get lost in the music. And there's nothing wrong with that, not at all. But they think that doctrine is divisive, that what we need is just instead is just life, Okay, which they, they probably really mean is that subjective type of shivers they, that comes when they say they're in the spirit or when they, when they feel his presence. Okay? They might say they don't need to emphasize the truth, but rather it's just love. Okay? They just want unity with anyone who names the name of Christ, no matter how fatal that doctrine could be. Right? Such feeling-oriented Christians, like they're not living in line with Scripture. They're imbalanced, okay? And they're going to get into a lot of trouble. But then the, the other side, right? I mean, we have the exact opposite. For example, these, these brothers and sisters might only prize knowledge and correct doctrine, okay? But in reality, they're far from practicing biblical love. They, they redefine love so precisely that they can excuse their, their harsh tones towards anyone who disagrees with them on like the, the smallest, tiniest point of doctrine. They avoid confronting that coldness of their hearts towards God and his people, and they like congratulating themselves on being correct doctrinally. Okay, in other words, they're, they're just all head and they're no heart. These people, they might even listen to like a conversation or, 
uh, a worship song or a sermon. They just want to find faults. And then when they do, they just they blow the place up, and they don't even sit down and have a gentle conversation with someone. Right? Both are wrong. And we need to be aware and pray for each other in the same light as Paul is praying for the Philippian church. And the reason why is as follows in the next verses. It says so that we can approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay, Paul has like the end times view here. Paul doesn't want the Philippians just to sit there and rest in, his, in their laurels. He wants them to continue, okay, to press on, knowing that their work is not complete and it will not be complete until Christ comes again or they die, whichever comes first. And he also prays for what that is going to look like. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, not their righteousness, but only the righteousness that comes through Christ and only to his glory and to his praise. See, our lives, even under God's sovereignty, are not to be stoic and passive. Paul, who knew that it was God who started the work and God who would finish it, was still actively involved in the process of getting that work done. Okay, we see that. He prayed fervently for these people. He exhorted them. He taught them. And a proper belief in God's sovereignty never leads to that stoic passivity. It leads to diligent and fervent labor. And it doesn't lead to prayerlessness. Rather, it should move us to pray since God uses his prayer to accomplish his sovereign purpose. Okay, that that good news of the gospel. Like this is, uh, the good news of the gospel that God can take children of the devil as we're called in John 8, and that's all of us by nature, and he can make us children of God. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul had proclaimed to the Philippians, when the Philippian jailer uh, said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, right? He put his faith and his trust into the Savior, And that Philippian jailer is now a child of God. And I hope we can say that, right? He can call him my God. And that's where thankfulness begins. When we understand that we deserve nothing from God but punishment, okay? We deserve nothing from God except eternal wrath. But we see that God in his grace has provided his own son to give the sacrifice for of sin, that we can have our sins as, as black and dirty as, as night can be, and they can be washed away and be white as snow. We can have all our sins forgiven and become children of God. And for that, all we have to say is thank you, right? I mean, you see, we can't buy our salvation. We can't earn it. All that we can give to God for our salvation is really just our thanksgiving. Paul, when... When he saw the, the church, the Philippians, um, this church who was so giving and was so sacrificial, so loving and serving, right? His mind and heart went right back to the source. I thank my God for you, Philippians, right? For what you've done in, in participating or partnering in the gospel. 
God is going to work there, right? Has God done that in you? Changing your heart to, to call upon Christ, to serve him so that his glory can be expanded, right? Have you come to Christ? This is great. Paul says this, that he's confident of this, that he has begun a good work and you will complete it. Okay, you might be thinking, man, I come, but I don't know if I could hold on, right? I'll probably be like one of those that, that just fizzles out. But if you truly come to Christ, you will not fizzle out. Again, he says that I am confident that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, he's not going to let you down. He's not going to let you go. Salvation is of the Lord. Okay, he is the author and perfecter, the performer, the finisher of your faith. Don't say you can't make it because you can never make it on your own. Paul says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not by works, but it is unto good works. Right? You're not saved on the basis of what you, what you do, but he does save you so that you will do. Okay? You will worship. You will love him. You will hate sin. You will love his people, and you'll love the gospel. And you'll want to press on and see that promoted in your life. And if you do know the Lord, as, as many of you do here gathering, if we know the Lord, let's ask him how we can be a person that others will be thankful for. And then in that, press on in all love and knowledge and all discernment to the glory and praise of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you just for the encouragement it brings that, Lord, uh, uh, we can't offer you anything, but you give us everything. And, and through that, Lord, I just, uh, I just give thanks and, and praise to you. Um, Lord, you just, uh, in your sovereignty, um, you just redeem us. And Lord, through that, uh, we can work out our salvation and, and love you and promote uh, you through the gospel. So Lord, just uh, help us to be a people that are, are just thankful and people that can, others can be thankful for all to, uh, to your credit. So we love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen.